chapter 23. We're reading this morning the account of the death of the princess, and that princess is Sarah. Genesis chapter 23, following your Bibles as we read, beginning in verse 1. And Sarah was 107 and 20 years old. There, these were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And Abraham came to, mount, came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham stood up from before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the children of Heth answered Abraham, saying unto him, Hear us, my lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee his sepulchre, but that thou mayest bury thy dead. And Abraham stood up and bowed himself to the people of the land, even to the children of Heth. And he communed with them, saying, If it be your mind that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me, and entreat for me to Ephron, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which is by the end of his field, for as much money as it is worth, he shall give it me for possession of a burying place among you. And Ephron dwelt among the children of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham and the audience of the children of Heth even of all that went in at, in at the gate of the city, saying, Nay, my lord, hear me. The field I give thee, and the cave that is therein, I give it thee. In thy presence of thy sons of my people give it thee, uh, bury thy dead. And Abraham bowed down himself before the people of the land. And he spake unto Ephraim in the audience of the people of the land, saying, But if thou wilt give it, I pray thee, hear me, I pray I will give thee money for the field. Take it of me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephraim answered Abraham, saying unto him, My Lord, hearken unto me. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. What is that betwixt me and thee? Bury therefore thy dead. And Abraham hearkened unto Ephraim. And Abraham weighed to Ephraim the silver, which he had named in the audience of the sons of Heth. Four hundred shekels of silver current money with the merchant. And the field of Ephraim, which was in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was therein, and all the trees that were in the field, that were in all the borders round about, were, were made sure. Unto Abraham for a possession in the presence of the children of Heth, before all that went in at the gate of his city. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah his wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. And the field and the cave that is therein were made sure unto Abraham for possession of a burying place by the sons of Heth. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you might give understanding today as we look at this passage. It's an unusual passage in a way to preach a message from. And yet, Lord, we know there's a lot here for us to see and conclusions for us to draw. So I pray that you'd give enablement to do that as I preach the message. May you be in charge, Lord, and may you get glory for everything that's accomplished. We pray that there's one here today without Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation for them. And for us who know the Lord, help us to realize that just as Sarah, we also look for a city 
that's heavenly, a city in heaven prepared for us. And I pray that we might, with uh, assurance, look for that place and live with that in mind that someday we're going to be with you. So, Lord, bless the message this morning. Accomplish your will through it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There have been many important ladies throughout history, but there is only one lady in all of history that was named by God the princess. The wife of Abraham was Sarai, which means my princess. But when God revealed that Sarai would become a mother of nations, he renamed Sarai with the name Sarah, which means princess. Therefore, she was not just her father's princess or Abraham's princess, but she would be everyone's princess. She would be the one who would give birth to Isaac, the promised son through whom the covenant of God to Abraham would pass. Then from Isaac, it it went on to Jacob, and uh, then from Jacob, Jacob, of course, was renamed Israel, and then through Israel would come the Christ, the Lord Jesus, the Savior of the world. Therefore, Sarah should be considered by all as a very special lady, actually the princess. This morning, we're going to study Genesis 23, which records the death of the princess, the death of Sarah. Let's begin by looking at some interesting facts about Sarah herself. First of all, Sarah the princess, just who was she? Well, she was the wife of Abraham and the mother of Isaac. She was the wife of Abraham, and she came from the land where Abraham came from, and that's the land of Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. We find that in chapter 11, verses 28 through 29. Uh, Abraham married her while he was in Ur of the Chaldees. But not only did she, he just marry someone that he knew, she was actually his half-sister. They had the same father, but they had a different mother, and we're told that in chapter 20, verse 12. She had come from an idol-worshiping family. Joshua 24, verse 2 tells us that. The family of Abraham that he came from in Ur of the Chaldees was an idol-worshiping family. So he was saved out of idolatry, you might say. At her death, she had been married to Abraham for over 62 years. Now, how do we know that's true? Well, she married him in Ur of the Chaldees. Then they left Ur of the Chaldees and they went to Haran. And when they left Haran, uh, they were married, of course. When they left Haran, Abraham was 75 years old. That means when they left Haran, she was 65 years old. So if she lived to be 127, then we know that you subtract 165 from 127, and that would mean she she and Abraham had been married for at least, or rather over, 62 years. It could have been 63, 4, 5, I don't know for sure, but I'm not sure how long they stayed in the Ran, and then before Ran, they were in Ur of the Chaldees, and I'm not sure how long they had been married before they left Ur of the Chaldees, so it was over 62 years she had been married to Abraham. Sarah was a believer in Jehovah, and she remained faithful to Abraham through all of her years of being uh, his wife. So because she believed in the Lord, she trusted the Lord. 
The Bible makes it clear that she was a true believer. Sarah was a loving mother of Isaac. She, was, she gave birth to Isaac when she was 90 years old. And Isaac, at her death, therefore, would have been 37 years old. Now, we find out from chapter 24, verse 67, that uh, Isaac married when he was 40 years old. And when he married, uh, when he got married, then uh, he went in, he took his wife into the tent, and then it says he was comforted, he was comforted after the death of his mother. So he was very close to his mother, and even though his mother had been dead for three years, or probably almost three years at least, then he was still mourning her, and when he, when he got himself a wife, that, was a, that really helped him through this time of mourning. So he was close to her. In fact, probably he lived at home for 37 years or 40 years until he got married. He probably lived there in that, around that area, close to home, and uh, as the son of uh, Abraham. Also, Sarah was a godly example. She was a godly example to, to, to ladies down through the, the centuries. She's a godly example to you ladies today. Now, we know that because God told us so. God tells us that she's a godly example. Turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll read about that beginning in verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. It talks about a, wo- a woman who's married to an unbelieving husband. And it says that he can be won by her, by him observing not what she says, but what she does in the way she lives, her conversation. And uh, so she's to live that way. And then it says in verse 3, who's adorning this woman living with this unsaved man? Her adorning should not be that outward adorning of plating of hair and of wearing of gold and putting on of apparel. Now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't wear gold. That doesn't mean you shouldn't plate your hair. Because if it means that, it also means you shouldn't wear clothes. <laughs> so that's, that's not what it's saying. He says, that's not your adorning. That isn't what makes you beautiful. Plaiting your hair doesn't make you beautiful. Wearing gold doesn't make you beautiful. You can put all those things on a so-called beautiful lady, and then when you get to know her, she's not beautiful. The Lord says, what it is, is, he says, who's adorning, let it not be the outward adorning of plaiting the hair and a wearing of gold and putting on apparel, but it let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is of great price. The Lord says what makes a woman really beautiful is her character, her meek and quiet spirit. It says, for after this manner in old time, the holy women also trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection to their husbands. For as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So we find out from this passage that Sarah was a, an example to other ladies. How was she example? Well, it tells us in this passage that she was subject to her husband. She had a meek and quiet spirit. She was subject to her husband. Uh, she was a holy woman who trusted God, and she was unafraid, and she trusted the Lord when, 
when she faced trials and troubles, she was unafraid. So that means she was a lady of true faith. So that's Sarah, the wife of Abraham, who'd been married to him for so long, the lady who was the mother of Isaac, and the lady who's an example to all other ladies throughout history, Sarah. But then we see in this passage the death of Sarah. When she died, she was 127 years old. Now, this is interesting for ladies because you don't like to tell your age. You know, most ladies don't like to tell your age, and if you're smart, you won't ask them. (laughs) But do you know that the only lady in all the Bible that it tells how old she was when she died is Sarah? (laughs) Nobody else, no other ladies. So maybe this idea of ladies not telling their age is biblical because only God told this lady's age. She was 127 years old. Now, God can get by with it because he's God, but uh, she's 127 years old. Her husband, Abraham, was probably away from home when she died. Now, how do we know that? Look at verse 2, chapter 23, verse 2. And Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. So she died in a certain location there in Hebron, and Abraham was not there at that time, and he came to mourn. So he was away from home when she died. And so he had been very close to her, of course, all these years, probably close to 65 years. And uh, she passes away, and he hears about it, and he comes to mourn uh, her. As he mourned, he wept. The Bible says he wept, verse 2. It's not unmanly for a man to weep. You know, sometimes in our culture we uh, make light of a man weeping, and you're not supposed to cry if you're a man. That is not biblical. God made us emotional beings, and he designed us so that we can cry. And lots of times you need to cry. It's God's way of helping you deal with things. And so... Abraham wept. The Bible says he mourned and he wept. Now, this is the first time in the Bible that a man weeps. Now, that doesn't mean there was no other man before this that weeped, that that was weeping or that shed tears, but this is the first recorded time for a man to weep, and that's Abraham. He wept when Sarah died. Now, the first recorded woman to weep that I could find was Hagar. And you remember in chapter 20, Hagar thought her son was going to die, Ishmael was going to die, and she cast him off by himself so she couldn't watch it and die. And she sat down and she cried, and she wept. And so we know those two occasions. But Abraham's the first recorded man uh, to weep. And uh, so, but he did weep. He was sorry for his passing of his wife. So it's not, it's not wrong to weep. In fact, the greatest man who ever lived, Jesus, he wept. He wept more than once while he was on this earth. The Bible says in, in John chapter 11, verse 35, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, it says that Jesus wept. That was when Lazarus died. Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead. But he looked at all the sorrow around him and how, how uh, sin, which brings death, had caused this and, and how the people were so upset. 
and he was a friend uh, to Lazarus. And uh, he saw all this, and he wept, and he genuinely wept. Well, that wasn't the last time. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, he offered up prayers with strong crying and tears. Probably a reference to the time in the Garden of Gethsemane when he considered what he was going to have to do at the cross. And he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, a very emotional time. And probably from this passage, we could say that he also cried, great crying, great tears. He cried at that time. And so uh, Abraham wept at Sarah's death. But then came the burial, the burial of Sarah. Abraham made arrangements for the burial. Look at verse 3. It says, And Abraham stood up before his dead and spake unto the sons of Heth, saying, Now, what we want to say about that is Abraham's in great sorrow. He just lost his wife. But his sorrow, his crying, doesn't take over everything about him. He is not just broken down with crying so he cannot do anything. Have you ever seen people like that? They are so emotional that they can't do what they're supposed to do. They can't take care of their duties. God doesn't want us to do that. And Abraham was very sorrowful, and he was crying, but he stood up, and I've got, there's something I've got to take care of, and I have to have a burial place for my wife. And so he begins to t- uh, make uh, arrangements for that burial. He bought a parcel of land for a burial place. We read this in verse, beginning the last part of, part of verse 3, going all the way through verse 19. And we read it this morning, the account. He made known his need to all the people who were gathered there, the sons of Heth, in that place. So he makes a public declaration that he needs a a burial place. He was respected by his neighbors who heard him. Look at verse 6. Hear us, my Lord, thou art a mighty prince among us. In the choice of our sepulchres bury thy dead. None of us shall withhold from thee, thee his sepulchre but that thou mayest bury thy dead. They're saying to Abraham, we respect you. You are a mighty prince among us, and any one of us who have a place that you would like to bury your dead, we will let you have that place. And so he was respected by his neighbors. It's, you know, we as people who know the Lord should be respected by our neighbors as well. And Abraham was, and he lived a life before them that was honoring to the Lord. So, he was respected by his neighbors, and so his neighbors listened, listened to him, and he asked for a certain tomb. Now, Abraham had lived in that area long enough that he had looked around and saw, and he probably thought, you know, if Sarah goes before I do, I'd like for her to be buried in that tomb. I, I've looked at this place. I like it. But he didn't think it was going to happen so quickly, and he hadn't made those arrangements, and so when it happened, he said, I would like to buy the, the, the tomb that's, that's there in uh, Ephron's place, Ephron's place, and uh, I would like to buy that tomb, and uh, that's the one I'd like to have. Well, evidently, Ephron was there, and he overheard it, and he comes and says, Abraham, I'll sell you the tomb and the surrounding area and the trees that are around it. I'll give you that whole parcel of land. In fact, I'll give it to you. It seems to imply that I'm going to just give it to you. Now, those who studied the customs in those days think that probably this was bartering. 
Probably the guy knew Abraham well enough that he knew he wouldn't let him give it to him. But he's going to make that offer, and he's going to start the bargaining. You know, the, where you, if you've ever been to a place like, well, like, I remember was going to Israel, and we walked down th- through old Jerusalem, and uh, people had wares out there to sell. And uh, they wanted to barter with you. <laughs> and they would tell you a high price, and you'd say, no. I remember one time there was something I liked and uh, bought. Oh, the price was terrible. And I said, no, no. And he brought it down. I said, no, I can't afford that. And uh, we walked away, and we're good ways down the street, and the guy came running after us, and he brought it down some more. <laughs> well, he knew he was going to do that. I still didn't buy it because it's still more than I wanted to pay. And the people who've studied this, this culture back then say that that might have been what he was doing. But he, he gives a price, and it's 400 shekels of silver. Now, those who've studied the culture in those days say that that was an exorbitant price. It was way more than the land would, was worth. And they think that Ephron probably thought that Abraham was going to come back with a lower price. But Abraham says, all right, I'll give it to you. Now, Abraham was rich. He was a mighty man. And he had a lot of possessions. And he wasn't going to barter on this. He wanted a place for his wife to be buried. And he said, I'll give you you that. This is the only land that Abraham owned. I mean, the land was his. God had given it to him. God said, the whole land is your, all the land of Canaan is for you and your seeds. I'm going to give that to you. But Abraham didn't possess anything yet as far as legally. And he was glad to have a possession so that he could bury his wife in his place, a place owned by him. And so he made the deal and and he buried his wife. So Abraham buried Sarah. Verse 19 tells us. Verse 19. And after this, Abraham buried Sarah's wife in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, the same as Hebron in the land of Canaan. He buried his wife. Now let me talk about that for just a minute. Burial in the Bible is the normal method of taking care of the body of deceased believers. When a believer dies, the normal method in the Bible is burial. It's not cremation. Now, cremation is very popular today. Cremation is popular because it's inexpensive. And many times people do that because they can't afford a burial. Let me say up front that the Bible nowhere condemns cremation. I don't find anything in the Bible that says cremation is wrong. Uh, I don't want it. I've told my kids, don't you burn me. (laughs) I can remember my mom telling the kid, don't you burn me. And I've told the kids, you know, we're not going to go cremation. Either me or or Evelyn, we're not going to be cremated. That's not what we want. And so we have enough life insurance to make sure we have enough that takes care of that and will not be cremated. But some people do cremate their, their own, and some people have expressed the desire to cremate. I'm not here to tell you that's wrong. I'm not here to say that God condemns it because God doesn't. But I am here to tell you this morning that God condones burial. It seems in the scripture that God condones burial. And uh, you think about it. If there's, there's one time that God himself buried somebody, 
Who was that? Moses. <laughs> and what did God do? God buried him. And they, nobody knows the place of his burial, but he buried him, and he buried him in a certain locality. And God tells us that in Deuteronomy 34, verse 6. God buried Moses. Also, we think of the greatest man who ever lived. His name was Jesus. And what did they do with his body? They buried it. He was buried in a tomb. And uh, the Bible seems to say that God puts a certain value in the human body. And I believe that that's one reason I wouldn't have cremation is because it seems to me like it's sort of dishonoring to the body. God puts a value to, to the human body. Turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. Notice the word sown. He's liking it to sowing seed. Where do you sow seed? You sow it in the ground. The seed dies, and then it comes to life. And the Lord's saying this is like resurrection. And when, you, when, you're, when a body dies, it's sown in corruption. It seems to imply it's buried in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. So the use of the word sown seems to imply, because he's already talked about uh, burying seed in the ground, it seems to imply that, that you're to bury people when they die. Also look at chapter 15, verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The Lord seems to imply that the proper disposal of a body of a believer is burial. Now, with that, I'd like to add, if you have decided that you're going to be cremated, I am not criticizing you. Because if I'm going to criticize and say you shouldn't do it, then I should have a verse to tell you that. I don't. As I said before, I don't believe God in the Scripture condemns cremation but I believe he condones burial, and we'll leave it at that. But Abraham uh, buried his wife, Sarah. Now, this was an act of faith on the part of Abraham, an act of faith because God had promised him the land and to Abraham and his seed. Therefore, this was home. You know, sometimes people live away from home, but they never considered home. So when it comes to burial, they go back to home to bury. Well, he didn't consider Ur of the Chaldees home anymore. He wasn't going to take Sarah back there. He was going to bury her in this place, even though uh, he didn't own the land before, the, but he, now he owns a burial place. But this whole land is his, and this is home, and that's where I want Sarah buried. 
Well, Sarah was not the last one to be buried in that home, in that place, in the, in the cave of Machpelah. She wasn't the last one. Chapter 23 or 25 verse 9 says Abraham was buried there. So it's Sarah and Abraham. Chapter 49 verses 29 to 31 says that Isaac was buried there. It also says Rebekah was buried there and Leah was buried there. And then in chapter 50, verse 13, it says Jacob was buried there. So Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, and Jacob are buried there. Now you say, what happened to Rachel? Well, Rachel died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin, and it was on the route to Bethlehem, and so she's buried there somewhere on the route to Bethlehem, and so she's not buried in that cave. So that must have been a good-sized cave. And there's, you can still go to what they call Abraham's tomb, but you can't go in it. Wouldn't it be interesting <laughs> to go in and you find a bunch of bones if they're still there? And you wonder, now, which one's Abraham? <laughs> which one's Isaac? Which one's Jacob? Well, God knows. And the resurrection, God's going to raise those bodies. And uh, it's not that he's going to really make those bodies... Uh, you know, just change him. He's going to change it, but it's just going to be completely new. God's going to make a brand new body. I don't know all the process. I just know God's going to make a brand new body. But he talks about resurrecting the old and making a brand new. So Sarah was buried. Rachel was buried in Bethlehem. Everybody else was buried in that tomb of Machpelah. Now, there's some lessons we need to learn from this whole passage and the death of the princess Sarah. And that is, we will all die someday, every one of us, unless there is a way to get out of it, isn't there? What's the way? Rapture. There's coming a time when Jesus Christ is going to come from heaven and he's going to change, he's going to resurrect the dead bodies and then we which are alive and remain should be caught up together with them of the Lord to meet the Lord in the air. And the, and the scripture says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's not a verse you put on the nursery, <laughs> uh, even though some churches do. <laughs> and I, it's funny. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That's talking about not everybody's going to die. And some of us might escape death because we're alive when the resurrection takes place, but that's the only way you'll escape death, us who are here. Now, I believe there are some others who might, who will, and that's those who live through the millennial reign. They live through the millennial reign, and uh, they never die. And then the Lord makes the new heaven and the new earth. I'm sure the Lord will give them a new body then. But talking about us, the only way we can escape death is through the rapture. So we're going to die unless Jesus comes back. The one thing about, as it was true of Sarah, we don't know when that's going to be. You don't know when you're going to die. I hope to live it's a good while longer, but I don't know that I will. You don't know when you're going to die. We don't know who will be here next. My siblings and I get together for each other's birthdays. And just a year ago, we said, let's take a picture. You never know who might not be here. We never dreamed it would be my brother-in-law, Larry. So we took a picture the other day when we got together for somebody's birthday. And uh, you just never know who's going to be gone. So we don't know when we're going to die. 
Life is short. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Life is short. James chapter 4 says, Whereas ye ye know not what shall be on tomorrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Our life is short. Our life, we don't know how long it's going to be. Sarah lived to be 127 years old, but that's short compared to eternity forever and ever and ever. So life is short. That's one lesson that we learn, that we learn. and life is sure we are going to die someday. But then there's another lesson that we learn, and that is life is very valuable. Life is very valuable. Every life is valuable. God gives life a purpose. Every life has a purpose. When God uh, calls you to be born, when God calls you to be conceived, and, and God formed you in the womb, God had a purpose for you and me. All of us have a purpose. And your purpose is different than my purpose, but each individual is special in God's eyes, and they have a particular purpose. God told Sarah that she was, going, that she was his princess. He said, I'm going to name you princess. Not my princess, Abraham or Sarah's dad. Not my princess, but princess, the princess. And so God called her the princess. At that time, she had no children. At that time, she had nobody that was going to to come after her. She had no one, but God knew why. God had a purpose for her. God had a purpose for her life to fulfill. She was to be the mother of Isaac. And God had a purpose for Isaac because eventually Jesus would come through that line. God had a purpose. You see, all of God's purposes for life fit together. And Sarah had a purpose that fit together with Abraham, that fit together with Isaac, that fit together with Jacob, and on down the the line. Everybody has a purpose, and he has a purpose for each of us, each of our life. And Sarah's death just reminds us that her life was lived with a purpose, and God has a purpose for all of us. And it's a privilege to be used of God to fulfill His will. And if we just surrender to Him and let Him use us for His purpose, then we will be used of God to, to, to fulfill His will. And what a great privilege that is. So life is very valuable. Satan also has a purpose. And he does not want you to fulfill God's purpose in your life. He has a purpose himself. And that purpose is to do anything he can to thwart God, to fight at God, to get at God. And Satan will do anything he can to get your life because he doesn't want you to fulfill God's purpose. Sarah had a purpose. We have a purpose as well. We must trust Jesus Christ as our Savior if we, will, if we plan to have that purpose fulfilled in our life. The Bible pictures it like this, that uh, life is begun by everyone on a broad path. The Bible tells us that everybody is a sinner. And the scripture says in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So before you were saved, you were dead in trespasses and sin. Everybody starts that way. Everybody starts off that way. We're all dead in trespasses and sin. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of the world, 
according to the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in time past, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Everybody starts off that way. We're all dead in sins. We all are following the devil. We're all headed to the wrong place. We're all children of, of condemnation, killed children of wrath. Uh, we're going to die that way unless something happens. We all start out that way. The Bible pictures in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, says, Wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And Jesus says, I am the way. To get off that path, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God's way begins with Jesus Christ. You accept him as your Savior. That guarantees your home in heaven, but also guarantees you something else, and that is a fulfilled life lived with his purpose. God wants us to have a fulfilled life. That life will consist of abundant life. The scripture speaks of that, the abundant life that we can have. John chapter 10, Jesus said this, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. The Lord tells us in Psalm, Psalm 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. God wants that for us. God wants abundant life, a life where we fulfill his purpose. God wants that for us, and we can have that. We can have abundant life. If you trust the Lord and go down his path, then you have influence. You think of Sarah. She had influence. She influenced the life of, Je of, of Isaac. She no doubt influenced the life of Abraham. She influences the life of ladies down through the century, including yours as ladies. Sarah influences your life. Sarah was one of the heroes of faith. She's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11, verse, verse 11. And by faith, Sarah. And so Sarah was one of the heroes of faith. And so she had usefulness. She had a purpose and influence to others, and she was useful to the Lord. The Lord used her. The question is, is God using us? God has a purpose for us. Are we yielding to that purpose so that he can use us in his glory, for his glory, in his purpose in this life. Also, another great blessing is we can have rewards. The Lord says that we're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to have, have rewards passed out. It'll be based upon your faithfulness to the Lord, and you can have rewards. And then you can have something that follows that, and that is responsibility during the, during the millennial reign of Christ. The Lord says, if you've been faithful a few things, he'll make you ruler over many things. And in the, in the, in the uh, millennial reign of Christ, we're going to have responsibilities to rule and reign with him, and those responsibilities be determined by your faithfulness to the Lord. Sarah came to the end of her life. Her end of her life was a life that God could commend and make it an example. And God could say she was a lady of faith. And we can say she influenced people, and she was used of the Lord, and no doubt she will have great reward. You see, that's one of the lessons that we learn from the story. One of them, we will die one day. Secondly, life is very valuable 
What are we doing with it? And then thirdly, we learn this from this, from this account, and that is there is life after death. Some people refute that. Some people say you're just like a dog. When you die, it's just all over with. No, it's not. And if you have that opinion, you better hope it is over with because if you don't trust Jesus, when you die, you'll go to hell. And so the Bible says there is life after death. This is proved in the Scripture. The Bible says of Abraham and Sarah, they looked for a city. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read about that. It says in verse 11, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one of him as good as dead, as many as the stars of the sky in multitude and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith. That's Sarah and Abraham and others. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they had came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they, are, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Yes, Sarah and Abraham looked for a city. They believed in life after death. There is life after death. Before Jacob died, you find this later in the book of Genesis chapter 49, he said this, I am to be gathered unto my people. What did he mean? His people had died, gone on, and they were with the Lord. They were still alive. There was life after death. Jesus spoke of Moses in, in Luke chapter 20. And uh, in that passage, he tells something interesting as that... Uh, these people who died are still alive. Let me read it to you in Luke chapter 20, verse 37. Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God called them the God, himself the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Jesus makes this point. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are still living. Where are they living? They're living with the Lord. And so there is life after death. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us that for the Christian to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So there's life after death for believers, and it's a wonderful life. But then there's also life after death for unbelievers. The Bible says in Luke 16 about the rich man that he died in hell. He lifted up his eyes in torment. And he said, I am tormented in this flame. So after death, the unbeliever also has life. But it's eternal death. It's a place of torment and consciousness. Forever and ever he's tormented in the flame. Yes, someday we will die. Like Sarah, God's princess. The question is, when you die... Where will you go? Will you go to heaven or will you go to hell? That all depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. And I hope we all make that right decision 
and trust the Lord as our Savior, but not only trust Him, but live for Him because He has a purpose for our life. Let's pray. Father, thank You today for teaching us from this account of the death and burial of Sarah things about life that we need to know. I thank You, Lord, that You've told us that as Christians, if we die, we're going to be with Jesus. But Lord, you've also told us that before that happens, our life is very valuable. And we should live it with purpose, knowing that you have a purpose in our life. I pray that our desire will be to fulfill that purpose. Sarah fulfilled her purpose. And may it be said of us, Lord, that we do the same. If there's a person without Jesus as their Savior, may today be the day of their salvation. We ask in his name, amen.